Has it been pressed? Yes, we are recording. We are live in front of a live studio audience. I'm doing not really the um, thing today. You're doing the the little uh, intro today. It's your turn this week, I believe. Can we get some like um, late night? And live from New York, it's It's Sonny and Alex. It's Saturday live from. uh, where, where Live from night, it's Saturday in New York. Oh, wait. Woo! We did that wrong. Hello. 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 Oh, rip hello. headphone users. Hello. Hello. And welcome back to Taking on Hollywood. I'm Alex. As always, I'm joined by... Sunny. Hello. It's me. The other one. The other one. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how, what we always say. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, always we don't know what the say. other one. <laughs> well, yeah. you know. We're useless at um, uh, jargon. Intros. Jargon. Yeah. We just want to talk about movies, man. Um, so this is a show, if, you, if you're joining us for the first time, it's a show where we give our take on Hollywood. But really, we don't. It's just sort of movies, but it's just sort of a catchy title. It's not exclusively Hollywood. Yeah. Basically, we're just a bunch of um, hacks who try and lure you in with a decent title and severely disappoint you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's yeah. a, I mean, if people haven't clicked off now... I don't know what they will do. Uh, uh, this week we're talking about Howl's Moving Castle. What a what a film! What a weird Studio film. Ghibli's one of their most recent films. Like came out in two thousand four, and their most recent one came yeah. out in twenty fourteen. Wow, they really don't do them very often. It's not like the Marvel no. movies, but not even like Star Wars. They're just like whenever oh, they ding, want. Ding, 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 ding. If you're new to the ding, show, ding, ding. we get have we have to have we a sort of contractly obligated because we are Disney chills uh, to have yeah. a Star Wars reference in every episode. Oh yeah, it's it's mandatory. Yeah, absolutely. We've got to have that reference. Um, <laughs> but, but no, yeah. so Studio Ghibli. It's sort of like people call them the uh, Japanese Disney or the Japanese more. I would say more accurately, Japanese Pixar. Yeah, uh, I was going to say they're definitely more of a Pixar kind of they sort of just they use animation to tell really compelling stories and they they take the time with things and it's just it just seems like a really you know nice place to uh mm, work and yeah. just sort of a yeah I've been, I've been watching because of this i've been watching a lot more studio ghibli films i've sort of gone on a tear i've right previously i've only watched um the Miyazaki ones, the Hayao Miyazaki ones, like like House Moon Cap, Spirits Away, Mobile Totoro, I don't know the other one, the uh, but but now I've um, just been, Princess I've been Mono, Mononoke, yeah that one, one. and uh, I've been going through the uh, the other the other like directors, it's like they're really good. Uh, last night I just yeah. watched Only Yesterday, which was banned for twenty years outside of Japan. Oh, was it a bit? Kind of too. Yeah, I've I've watched it. Out I would, there, or? I would say, but they just they would they were just like, uh, this is a my neighbor Totoro. Where's the fluffy animal? Oh, so it was a bit more real. Essentially, it wasn't necessarily. It's a, bit, it's a, a lot kids more. Real. It's a lot more real. But I think it's 
probably one of their best. I definitely want to watch it again. Mm, Five stars. Right. We could, we're definitely doing an episode on it. I'm just saying. Um, I've been go- and I'm going to go through all the ones I can get my hands on. I absolutely adore them. I think I think for me personally, my preferences mm. are better than Pixar for me because wow. Pixar Pixar bold, are a bit bold statement. Well, I've always thought Pixar are a bit like I, I only love one of them. Thinking about it, I only Which love one. Of them. It's only Toy Story two. That's the only one I love. Oh. But the other ones, I mean, that's I just, my favorite. Yeah. The other ones are all just a bit hit and miss for me. Like I have no desire to go and watch yeah. them again. Like like a Bug's Life. <laughs> See, I'm I'm or, the complete or Cars or you know even <laughs> Toy Story four, which I, I liked, but I was just like, eh, no, okay, that was sort of meaningless. I'm I I, I got to admit. I have not seen a single Studio Ghibli movie, Ghibli movie, aside from this one, Howl's Moving Castle. People yes. are probably going to hate me for that. I watched it as a kid. It gave me horrible nightmares. I've it got my, I've got my pitch for it. I've never watched that. another Studio Ghibli film since. I think um, you've missed out because I watched three of them in yeah. year three. Which is like I don't well, know what that is in America. In America, it's like something grade third, fourth grade, I guess. I don't know. Well, whatever. Basically, um, you were basically just a kid. Yeah, I was probably like nine, eight, nine. Yeah, I don't know. But if um, this was like the end of the year thing, we watched um, My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, and Spirited Away. And I remember right. sat there in a little plastic chair. <laughs> you remember them plastic chairs? Yeah. Oh God, they were horrible. Sat there in a little plastic chair, and just completely like transfixed. And everyone in the room was as well. I've never seen. I never yeah. saw that before, ever. And everyone yeah, was completely. I noticed this. It has a way of drawing you in because they're such an intriguing and out there universe. But I don't know. Just for me, the reason I chose this movie this week because mm. it's I the only to one you've seen. Movies another chance. Yeah, it's the only one I've seen, and I thought. This terrified me as a kid, but I wanted to come back to it someday because it always rem- I always remembered it, even though it scared me to death for some reason. It's like yeah, some it's like it's like one of those kids films like Labyrinth that's just really freaky and weird, and it kind of just freaks you out. Dark and Crystal. I don't get what, <laughs> yeah, um, it's like that kind of thing. It's got that vibe to it, and um, I don't know, just something about f- like little five year old me was just like, uh-uh, nuh-uh, don't like this. I'm not, I'm not watching this again. Um, but coming back to it, there's a reason it was it stuck with me because the visuals are very powerful, the story is very powerful. The, so, you know, it, it gives you such visceral, real emotion when you watch it. But I just never came back to these movies. And like you were saying about Pixar, I loved Pixar as a kid. Like I pretty much every movie they've put out, I, I just love. Um, you know, even Cars. Some, some, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Cars. I love Toy Story. About Cars Three. Inc. I've not actually seen Cars Three. Oh, okay. Um, your your argument. Your people. argument is uh, <laughs> null and void. Then uh, thank you, the everyone, only, for listening. The only Pixar films I haven't seen are Cars Three, um, Brave, and uh, that's uh, a, the new one. Wait, Brave's and uh, yeah. What's the What's the new Brave one? felt more like a Disney film. Um, it's about. It's like this weird fantasy world that's it's like what if a oh, fantasy world progressed on, to modern onward day? on that's one i've not watched that yet i've not had the chance to watch it yet but um yeah most of pixar films beyond toy story a bug's life i never really kind of 
Though, yeah, there are a few that are hit and miss, but on the whole, you know, I love them all. Even even the ones everyone else hates, like Cars 2, Monsters University, they're some of my favorites for some reason. I don't know. But these, yeah, like I said, I love those movies. And watching this movie, it has that same feel. So I can see myself watching these, you know, My Neighbor Totoro and Spirited Away. I can see myself watching these in the future. Stay tuned, everyone. Yeah, like you said, this is like the the Japanese Pixar in a way. I think the um, animation, I mean, for me personally, I prefer, I, I prefer 2D animation. I think there's a lot more. I don't know. I don't know I why. I don't that, know why, yeah. because obviously 3D animation has, is still very difficult to do, but there seems to like a lot more part and actual art, you know, in the traditional sense, you know, like painting yes, and, it's, and um, put into it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not digging into a, um, 3D animation. I'm just saying, for me, I, I tend to connect with more physical things. Like, like I, I don't like having digital copies of things. I like to have a physical. Yeah, me- media. I kind of believe that the closer you get to from pen to paper, the more relatable it is to people. Yeah, because it's it's something that's universal in humans: the ability to draw. They don't need a, a massive supercomputer to render hundreds of hours of uh, spend hundreds of hours of rendering this movie. Here's There's always something that's very relatable about the most primitive form of art, and I, I still, I, I, I prefer modern Pixar films over two D animated films. But back in the '90s, when it was starting, it was janky. Dude, you, you pick the Lion King over, over Toy Story any day of the week. I tell you now. Eh, I enjoy no, Toy no, Story I'm just, film, I'm just, I'm just saying more aesthetically. I, I would. Yeah, definitely. Like. I appreciate the effort that goes into the 3D stuff, and now it's on point. Like you can't tell it's a computer-generated image because it's so, it's so real. Uh, yeah, but it's I'm almost. Can we, I like, like how far are we into this episode? We're not even talking about the film, but we're just talking <laughs> yeah. about this is an important discussion to have, and I, I'm sure when we do another Studio Ghibli film, we'll we'll have this discussion again. You yeah, know? but it kind of segues into my first point I wanted to talk about, which was the animation style. Um, it's very charming is is the word i use it's it's an extremely charming style um no but you right you look at this like that's hand drawn that's frame by frame yeah someone's had to draw that and what i found really inspiring and impressive was that the characters all are always moving if we be at their hair or like their clothing is always rippling in the wind or something and you think about that, like people always find like cheat codes, like if I can just like do every two frames, so I just have to draw this exactly the same. But no, they did to create such fluid movement. They had to do it painstakingly, constantly. I was like, that—that that is yeah. how you know these people really care. It's, it's like the original Disney movies. They just used to have. It's crazy. You just see the people in these warehouses just drawing and drawing and drawing and in modern yeah. animation they often use software like toon boom where you, where it fills in the gaps yeah you can literally uses, just um, animate these yeah it's, it's like, like south park. Stuff, yeah yeah it's like they used to do with south park it's almost like you have these cutout characters and you can move them around uh using yeah keyframe animation but this there's that works but there's always going to be a place for this because you can feel the effort that's put into it and that makes it makes um, people you can instantly tell that's I mean that's why all these like nine eighty percent or maybe even like a hundred percent of studio Ghibli films all have like 
10 out of 10 reviews or 9 out of 10. People can tell. Oh, yeah, and that's yeah. just critics, like audience people. I mean, I had a class of 30 kids when I first watched these films, Transfixed, and I remember just being completely sucked in, and uh, as I said, and and I I I, al- I always wanted to go and watch them again. They're just all so beautiful, and even these ones that aren't Hayao Miyazaki, which is probably the most well-known ones. There, I've been watching them all, and they're all so beautiful and brilliant and fantastic, and yeah, and I, I just can't describe think- it. Like <laughs> it's it's strange. <laughs> For me, there's a satisfying element to it. There's a every knowing that every frame is drawn by hand adds a human element to the film, and it adds such detail. Like again, keyframe animation works for things like Family Guy and The Simpsons because they're they're comedy. They're not they are art still. But I mean, obviously, um, high IQ shows like Rick and Morty, um, they yeah. um, they are animated <laughs> three times over, and then they layer them. So they do the episode three <laughs> times and they layer them because, you yeah. know, that's how they're doing it twice with both hands ambidextrous. <laughs> the animators, because they're all, what, 5,000 IQ, maybe more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rick and Morty is just on another level. <laughs> I mean, but, like, could we just talk about anime for a minute? Because this is anime. Yeah. Animation. Maybe in- I'd say it's slightly removed from it. It's definitely more. Well, I don't, I don't know what the exact definition is, but I see it as... I call it like anime is animation from Japan. So, you yeah. know, well, and a lot of it's, a lot of it's based off manga. And there's yeah. some, I'm studio. not the most into anime, so I wouldn't be able to define some, it, but some studio Ghibli stuff is actually based off manga as well. Anyway, but, um, but this is all like very, they're just doing animation. They're not going like, they're, they're sort of detached much like Pixar are like they're, like I, I doubt Pixar would ever do like G.I. Joe the movie animated. Yeah, in a way they're and I think like you can tell most, they're storytellers. Yeah, most people just, say they're like, not just making these for money or because it's something it's not a popcorn flick. It's not like again, like kids' movies, typical kids' movies or Family Guy or The Simpsons where you just turn it on and kinda of watch it for half an hour, have a bit of a laugh and turn it off. Every storytelling element, every character is meaningful, and in the animation is meaningful. Every one I've watched has stuck with me, and that's true. And yeah. I don't think I can say that for any other studio. I'm deadly serious, like I, I yeah, can't explain. Like, I can't you... explain how much. <laughs> I don't, come on, does everyone has to watch Studio Ghibli films? And if we're talking, essentially, now, you need to get this stuff out of here. But like, unless you're talking, yeah. I mean, Studio essentially, Ghibli, I have no interest in anime. <laughs> well, I have a very limited interest in anime. Yeah, I mean, I've watched anime. Not really my thing. I've seen some. There's some I enjoy. What I have seen, I have enjoyed, like One Punch Man and Fairy Tale, things like that. But again, you can tell these movies are just on another level. And um, it sounds like your relationship with this, these movies, are much like mine with Pixar. You grew up with them. They're meaningful. They're impactful. That's why I they're so say, powerful. But I wouldn't say I grew up with them. I wasn't like I have all the I have all the DVDs. Yeah, yeah. I put them in. I mean, yeah, but I was yeah. just like the 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 initial watching them had such a you appreciated them from a young age, which has such a, a profound effect on me. Yeah, it's exactly. I, I can't, That's why I can't I, describe why that I just though, always knew that I wanted to watch these and. Now I have now yeah. they're all on Netflix in the UK. Or I don't know where they are or anywhere else, but they're all on Netflix in the UK. 
or most of them, and I can have I a, that, a platform yeah, to watch them. them and, I, and I can, with a bit more of a mature mindset, I can appreciate them even more. And I'm, but I'm still capturing that that wonder and splendor, and that's what. I think Hal's moving cat. Finally, how far are we into this episode? <laughs> Twenty minutes. Uh, we can finally start talking about Hal's moving castle. Yeah, um, I mean, unless you want to finish our little broad discussion. Yeah, it's, essentially that's it, isn't it? Like, there's these movies that stick with us from a young age, and it's the reason adults enjoy P- P- Pixar. It's the reason adults enjoy Studio Ghibli films. It's these because are they're, they're, sto- they, they're they, stories. They cross generations. They're stories. Yeah. They're not. That they're, they're they're like universal. Anyone can enjoy them. Like, exactly. That's the that, universal. That, that's what everyone. Has, that's what you have to strive to do. If you really care. Yeah. It, as a kid, you find them powerful, but you don't quite know why. They're just fun. Then you rewatch them as an adult. You find their deeper meaning. That's why it's so great as family films and the cross generations. They leave a mark on you. But this movie, going back to the animation style, every facial expression every movement of every character even weird little things that i noticed in this film that just made me appreciate the animation like uh um i'll assume people already know the plot but there's uh, a point yeah, in the movie where Sophia, um, yeah yeah essentially uh we're not going to sit here and recount the whole plot because it's not necessarily the most uh it's not, easy it's, to explain it, it doesn't um, it doesn't adhere to the uh story circle or whatever yeah essentially it's not the most coherent but that's not necessarily i don't think i think it's pretty coherent but it does it's not just it's not the most um uh i would say committed to like being like yeah everybody's dying we have to save the world you know it's not that (laughs) i guess we'll get onto the story but my point was like when sophie goes up uh, there's a scene where she has to she it's an old lady she has to get up some steps and she carries this dog that she thinks is howl and, oh and she kind goodness, of flops so. it down when it gets to the top and it kind of moves its legs and tries to roll onto its back. And I was just like, for some reason, that dog's movement stood out because it felt so real. It felt the way it moved was, you could tell the animator had studied the way dogs and animals move. Because it just, it, even though it was a silly little thing of the dog getting back up on its feet, I don't know, there's just something to it. And this, another sequence where that happened was when they were cooking the breakfast. Oh, that, there was just something so satisfying about the way they cooked the bacon and the eggs dude, and poured it out and I, ate it. Like it was so, I again, frame and, by frame, every emotion, every little detail is animated so perfectly. And I had to lie so down after that. Uh, yeah. my, mouth, my mouth was watered. I was like that. <laughs> like it's almost hyper real, but I like that because every movement, when they're eating the food, it's it so immersive. In it. And if you think about it, yeah. like in any other, maybe in like, any other medium, it would be like yeah. If, uh, if you did it in just it live action, boring. it'd be so boring. Like, oh, why? Why is this like? Why is this wizard cooking eggs and bacon? But in this, because exactly. they, because they can capture that detail and that fluidity of just in everyday yeah. actions that you just like. Whoa! Again, yeah, it's that hyper realness. Even in real life, if you watch someone cooking, you don't go, "Wow, look at the beauty of that." But the way they animate Unless the eggs like, cracking and the bacon you know, sizzling is like or something. Yeah, well, that that that's turning it into an art. But God, imagine if they made sushi in this movie, it'd be like, oh. But <laughs> there's a video on YouTube where it's all like anime food. Yeah, like like right. cl- cl- like a mon- it's like a supercut. This guy's in a supercut of like food in like anime films. Like, yeah, and people yeah. just cooking it, and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to lie down after that. For the, after this, I had to go and make some bacon and eggs. I was so maybe it's its own art form. 
Dude. Anime food. Anime food. It is. I mean, they don't. But, no one does um, it better. Another one that stood out to me is uh, the cleaning sequence where Sophie's cleaning the house. Just the way she brushes up yeah. and does the ashes and throws water down. And, I think and, uh, Hayao mops. Miyazaki is the only one who can make cleaning look entertaining. Exactly. It's uh, it's hard to explain, but just these mundane tasks become so heightened. And I could watch them eat and clean and, and these animals move about and these people emote for, for hours just because of the amount. Of, it's like looking at a thousand masterpieces at once all in a sequence because again each one is drawn each frame of the movie captures something and and is has had hours of work put into it i think when that comes across this is where should i tell the story of how where i first saw this film yeah it's quite interesting i was at a chinese restaurant (laughs) and it was on this projector that's odd. It was so strange. Like this massive, like the whole wall was just this film. And I was sat facing That's it. That's odd. I was sat facing it. And there was I've never like, been to a restaurant where they in movies. But I was, and I was eating my, you know, chicken stir fry. Having yeah. Coca-Colas. And I could just see it muted. It wasn't on, but it was just this beautiful. That's I was odd. like, whoa. It's like, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Because, you know, obviously, like, it's muted and you're, like, sat yeah. there half looking at it. But I kept looking back and I was like, what is going on? I mean, that's a testament to the visuals. And I Not think many I, movies can capture you just through the visuals. Yeah, and I think I think eventually I did watch it again, actually. And now I've watched it again for this thing. And it's all, I mean, I can't stress enough. I mean, I've said this, like, a thousand times just in this episode this film is gorgeous and and it just sort of has this appeal that I can't explain. Exactly. And I felt that appeal too as well. It's like, again, it's it's inexplicable. It's like the magic of these uh, Pixar films. I keep going back to it because they're so similar. Um, There's just an inexplicable, they just do it right. Um, Another example of the animation that I really loved is that even though it's all hand-drawn, the lighting is brilliant. Um, where it stood out to me is when Sophie goes into the hat shop at night and lights. Um, I thought that's a beautiful shot. There's kind of a purpley blue. Yes, I did hue to it to the that room, and then she lights the candle, and I was like, "Wow!" Just the way they grew, they they drew, they colored the gradients of light traveling through the room and the different highlights and just everything. It reminded me it's of not like um, this... classic two D Disney. Yeah. They used to do similar stuff. And yeah, they used to it really affects it... when when Mickey lit a candle and you would go. Oh, yeah, even in live action movies, you know, lighting's still an art. But in this, they literally have to draw each. It is literally study lighting. They have art. to study. Yeah, they have to study how light works to draw it. They can't just put a light on the picture because that's not how it works. Obviously, you have to draw the light into the picture, and the and it and it. You know, if you've ever tried to do three D drawing, it's very hard to get the lighting right. If it's off, it it looks like a drawing. It's like those uh, YouTube videos you get um, where people draw like illusions of 3D apples on a paper. And they're like, whoa, this this is drawn in 3D. And um, it's like, and that's because they have the lighting just on point. And this movie does that. You can tell they've spent hours studying how light works in real life to draw it so perfectly on the screen, which is hard to do. Um, again, if you go back to things like The Simpsons and Family Guy, they're not the most artful pieces they have an aesthetic which is very 
block colors cartoon there's some amount of shadow and stuff like that but in this the amount of effort that again is put into every frame the amount of thought i don't think i've ever noticed lighting in animation because it's not you never think about it do you exactly because everything's always fully lit because you can't really draw like yeah you can't you can draw a spotlight if you really want but it's a lot like people are like why would i do that but in this i that that was the one sequence where i was like oh my god that's amazing i think can we just go back uh, to the amount of detail something i noticed was the opening and like every background character is individually well i I don't know how to what extent but a lot of them are very individually animated they're all have their little like movements and it just makes you the world breathe completely yeah it's not like what do you you think of the um the world design or whatever well i actually thought it was quite interesting it's kind of this european um aesthetic um so kind of a lot of the warmer european countries like italy spain france have uh kind of buildings with shutters they're very pastely colors um and it had that feel but then there was also a bit of british tudor housing kind of mixed in Um, sorry west like 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 york yeah if you live in the uk york or uh chester like it was like that very almost like these uh what, you very call colorful ancient towns but yeah but there was these old kind of towns if you, if you a lot of the yeah. uh, older towns in the uk go to them they've got cobbled roads and the streets are very narrow and the houses are crooked because they're like 400 years old there was a lot of that in this movie but then they had these pastel colors painted over it and then the high street kind of looked like it was in france so it felt very european yeah, but in the Victorian era, which I liked, and then they had this steampunk aesthetic thrown in slightly. And, um, and I think because of that level of detail, you just sort of everything seems, to, and it's insane. Like every, they've thought so much about it because everything seems to click together, and you go, "Oh, I could see that working." Like this is true for every Miyazaki film. Yeah, just for the um, the aircraft, like the amount of detail yeah, yeah. and you could you could picture them flying, and that's true for. Uh, every Miyazaki film, because he grew up, his father was a, um, what was he? Uh, he was like an airplane mechanic or something something similar. Right. So he grew up around that and he loves airplanes. And you can tell that from all his films, like everything, every film he always features like, like some sort of device, like flying device that can sort of fly and it always makes sense. It's insane. Yeah. I'm like, the way I see it, the aesthetic is, is <coughs> sorry. The aesthetic is oh kind of God. grounded in reality. So, yeah. um, Doug Chang, the designer for another obligatory Star Wars reference, ding, ding, um, ding, ding, Doug Chang, designer for Episode One and Episode Two, I believe. He also did a bit of Rogue One and stuff. He did, said, "Did um, you win?" Um, yeah. The reason we love these universes and how they look and the reason we find them believable is because we base them in real life so when he was designing the ships for star wars he said he he reverse engineered from real life so he'd go well i want a starfighter what do planes look like what makes them work and then he'd take elements from real life things like planes or cars trains or automobiles there's there's a reason these things work the way they do they're not just they don't just look this way because it looks cool they their wings their turbines their structure the way they're built 
has a real world purpose. And if you yeah. can incorporate that into your fantasy world of being like, you, you don't like an airship, you can't just draw it as a, as a cube and have it float through the sky. Cause it's not believable. But he said, if you study real life airships, real life planes and incorporate real life elements and add a bit of, you know, suspension of disbelief and fantasy elements, people will believe that that could be a real thing. Yeah. Because like we, you, you recognize what you know, if the, and these airships are designed that way, like the airships, could, in, they felt in, like they could exist in the real world. Like the airships in this, like, um, there's like these ones that have like flapping wings and yeah. And then, but then they zoom in on them. You can see the cogs and there's like a panning shot where you see through it. And it's like, yes, everything makes sense. And there's like propellers on the back to push it forward. And the, the flapping wings keep it in the air. And you're like, and you could just quickly look at it straight away and go, oh yeah, that's how that this thing flies. It's yeah, not like, just like, it's not just like a UFO, like, yeah, exactly. Like a, we because of what we've seen in real life and because those elements have been clearly incorporated into it, it it's believable even the moving castle which is a bit more abstract a bit more out there a bit less believable is still believable because it's like uh, yeah. this massive because of, i think the way i am junk it, it looks like every time it steps it goes like you can feel the weight exactly it's not just it, like but... they the way it moves contributes to the believability if it was just this ma- massive lump of stuff on these spindly legs and it was walking it wouldn't necessarily be believable but the way it kind of topples and shakes and moves makes it makes you think it could fall over at any moment like it's not structurally sound and it makes it feel real i mean towards the end of the movie it literally falls apart and it kind of is even then it i don't know it's just it never felt um Dis, not disbelievable. That's not a word, but it never felt like it couldn't exist. Disbelievable. <laughs> I've invented a new word, disbelievable. <laughs> but it, it was not unbelievable because that would be implying. Anyway, the point is semi believable. Yeah. It, you could tell they took some creative liberties, obviously, but it felt real. Yeah. And, that, um, that's why I said it. it was the, again, the weight. It, yeah. The weight. It's, uh, it's how the, it walks. Yeah. The way it was animated. It's the attention That's- to detail, just like the lighting, just like the way the characters move, the buildings and the airships and the planes or whatever those things were, all moved. Again, there's that attention to detail in every frame that makes it believable. Um, so yeah, just in Do terms we- of uh, yeah, the animation, lighting, everything in that department. I think we've pretty much summed that up. But just we talk about the story now. Um, one thing I do want to just. Um, before we get to the story real quick is the music. Uh, oh yeah. Cause oh. I just love the music, especially when she first meets Hal and they kind of walk through the air over this town. Dude, I, that, I, for some reason, that, I love that track. The, they repeat the same theme like quite a few times, like the main thing. But theme. it gets you every time. And it gets you every time it gets you, but I think cause they either play it quickly or slowly and they always, it, it's a it's sort of a universal piece of music that can just fit any mood depending on how yeah. fast or slow it's been played. And and it doesn't feel tired. Like if you heard like, I don't know, I don't know, the Batman theme from 1989 Batman, like 50 times through the movie, you'd be like, okay, we get it. Yeah. Or for, for one we've talked about, if you heard, um, I don't know, the Oompa Loompa songs uh, in the yeah, Jolly yeah. and Chocolate Factory yeah. by Danny Elfman. <laughs> Good God, I don't think I would be able to handle any more. 
but this yeah. one, I I think it's just because it's quite it's a very simple piece of music, and I, I think because it just fits. exactly it's not it's not necessarily iconic. It's not I think it's because orchestral. It just it just fits I can in. recall it's subtle, it. but it works. I can recall it. I so. see. I couldn't. So well, to I me, re- it was a ve- it was a great piece of music, but it wasn't memorable, which isn't a bad thing because Every it time- fit the the movie so well every time it so when it first came on in the big like swelling when howl first meets sophie in that big when it's like the loudest it's been till the end yeah that that sort of like lodged in my brain and then whenever it came but came back i I was i found myself humming it and then you know after i've been humming it ever since i've seen it occasionally and i just i don't know why maybe it's just different musical taste but Definitely. I, I mean, I definitely. Um, I think it's yeah, really the way I it's see really, it. It's, it's not like it's not like uh, the Twin Suns or again the Batman theme. It's not necessarily iconic. It's not something that just pops into my head. But hearing it with the movie, it's perfect. It couldn't. It works. And again, that allows it to be repeated because it's not this kind of head banging tune where you're like, I, I want to listen to this over and over because yeah. it's too recognizable at that point. This the way this music is so subtle and the way. It, it it moves in a way, allows it to be played like throughout the, the like movie. Like the um, a head banging tune. An example of that would be um, the Thomas Tank Engine theme. <laughs> yes, ten out of ten. But if you heard that throughout every movie ever, you'd go nuts. Brilliant. Anyway, <laughs> that that can be uh, can that be animated? If we get that. Uh, can someone animate that, please? Yes. Um, 10 out of 10. You know, one of the, one of the five the tank people engine in there in a house moving castle. We want to see that. Um. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Yeah, so the music, uh, we're not musical experts, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, music, music not. and sound in film is like a whole, that's like a whole separate medium just for itself. Yeah. It's I mean, like, that's what I'm going to be talking about today in my soapbox. So I guess we'll talk about it more later, but yeah, it's just, so, so we move on. So uh, just a big thumbs up for the, I've got a double thumbs up right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can't see it for the music and just the animation, everything. Should we move on to the story now? Yes. The story, the plot, universe, characters. Um, now I've got a whole I, lot to I, say about this. <laughs> can I start? Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm very like uh, niche. I like niche things. I uh, I've never been one to conform. Yes, you're essentially a hipster. <laughs> yeah, I'm essentially a hipster without the man bun. Yeah. I, I, sound, really, I sound really snobby now, so I, I regret <laughs> I'm saying I'm essentially that, but... a hipster without a man bun. <laughs> no, I... Oh, wow. No, I meant like saying, <laughs> like, I, I like, I, I like neat things, but... Yeah, I, yeah, yeah you're, I not like, you're, you're not like non-conformist, yeah. but you do, you tend to go for things that aren't mainstream. Again, like you prefer these movies over Pixar. And even though Pixar's t- more Western. Um, I also like kale smoothies as well. <laughs> I uh, I ride, um, I play the banjo instead of uh, the guitar. Yes. Uh, I get anyway, we're, uh, both, we're both kind of like that to an extent. But um, so I, I, I'm a bit like, Okay, I've seen, uh, you know, boy meets girl gets off with a the most blunt way <laughs> possible. Oh, saying that, and then uh, and then they subtle, get married at really the end. Yeah. 
And they get married in the end. Like, that's a story. Yeah. Whatever. Who cares? It's basically like Marriage Story. That movie was just boring because it was Jesus literally Christ. a marriage story. Um, well, it was so. a divorce story. Well, so. yeah, actually. God, that, that would be so, a more accurate title. That was I, so self-indulgent. Based on what I little can't. I've seen of it, it just seems like Hollywood having a mid No, Sarai, Sarai, well, <laughs> yeah. what is it? Like, can we just do a quick quick two-minute marriage story thing in this, yeah, in this episode this, about Howl's This is Castle. like a comparison of meaningful, deep story compared to a story about rich people. This is a comparison of, of uni- universal <laughs> stories versus... What try? What I think tries to be it tries to be a universal story. It's like everybody goes through yeah. a divorce like this. It's like no, they don't. No, 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 not everyone is a, a no, theater director yeah. and married to an actress who are having a coast to coast thing. And it's like no, it's the emotions. Exactly. It's like no, no, it's such it's such a self indulgent Hollywood movie made by self indulgent Hollywood people. And in That's twenty years, we'll be it. eating those words. Like, it's we've them made saying. One. Oh God, trust me. I can tell you now. No, I oh, I cannot stand self-indulgent films made by people who don't rightfully have anything to complain about. Yeah, <laughs> like if you're in the Breakfast Club episode, suffering is suffering universal. is um, universal. But don't make a movie about how horrible it is to be a Hollywood producer. You don't have it that bad. Oh, my <laughs> wife, my you? wife's divorcing me for no reason. And there's a great comparison to this film, which is such a universal story. It's about self-acceptance yeah. for every character. Exactly, it's so meaningful. Themselves. And you're it's like, not, it's oh. not a big old Hollywood like we have first world problem, rich people problem movie. It's, it's a not, movie about it's not it's the not a human big, condition. It's not a big Hollywood, you know, help therapy group. You know, yeah, I, I yeah think, essentially, I think it's really hard to walk around in your. <laughs> and you design your clothes when it's really hot outside. You know, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, these these movies are just you can tell when something comes from again a rich Hollywood up higher up and someone who's lived a meaningful life and has a story to tell. So I was talking um, about um, niching, and this story is very neat. So like, I, I don't mind that it doesn't fit the plot circle or whatever you call it the the the, the story structure yeah because it, it definitely doesn't no because <laughs> but it still works because i i mean i've been reading this book recently and it says like if there's look really deep at everything and it's like but who can be bothered yes it yeah. might yes it might fit this structure but i don't want to just yeah, lo- yeah. i don't want to be like getting under my microscope yeah, every every but this, resource but this story i need to just get this out because i'm rambling like <laughs> <laughs> a maniac, a schizophrenic maniac. Um, it's just uh, inconsequential. Like it's not save yeah. the world. Like it is about a that's world. the best it's way to put it. It's it's about the characters and and that that's what makes it more personal. That's why what makes it probably more you connect to it more because yes, I am a person as well. I'm not you know the concept of war or I'm not the concept of anti-war or whatever. You know, yeah, not, I wouldn't call this plot cohesive i wouldn't call it again it doesn't particularly go anywhere but that's not the point and so everything makes sense because it's, a, it's about it, everything yeah. makes sense but it doesn't it's a fit. bit sporadic it's sporadic it's bit, but it's not badly sporadic it's not like it's not like one character walks into a room and appears on the taj mahal you yeah. know naked towards or the end like it that. went it went like rumble in the bronx you were just kind of like wait this is happening now what's this it, it kind of felt a bit odd but like I said, it didn't bother me because in the end, this is a character piece. This Unlike is a Rumble in the, in the Bronx, the Jackie Chan film. Which was, 
Oh my god, I love that because of how cheesy it is. Anyway, we got to do an episode on that. What was it? What was it? The golden Lamborghini and the golden samurai sort of literally jumps off onto a hovercraft and then goes. Yeah, like it was such a grounded movie about again kung fu guys in the Bronx, and then suddenly they're getting in hovercrafts and driving around in gold Lamborghinis and. Oh my god, it just goes completely off the wall and it feels like, how did we get here? And I, to a much lesser extent, I got that feeling with this movie, especially in the last kind of 10, 20 minutes. Did um, you like the anti war themes? As I, I did. I don't think they were powerful enough. I don't think, they, need, I don't I think don't, they needed to be because exactly. I think it wasn't the key I think message it was just, of the film. It, I th- so it wasn't. I didn't pick up on it necessarily because the war just kind of ended. He was like, the uh, scarecrow turned into a prince and he was like, I am the prince from the neighborhood. That was kingdom. so weird. I will put a stop to this war. That was so strange and I love it. Yeah, it just came out of nowhere. And then the the, the evil villain, Solomon, or whatever her name was. Salaman. She's just like, yeah. She was like, I will end this war now. It, it kind of all kind of ended too perfectly. <laughs> like, as was, soon as our characters I think got their story I don't know arc, why. I don't know. As soon as their characters got their story arc and got their ending, the war ended. And I just felt like the war didn't need to end. It could have continued. But I think it was just or, brilliant. I, th- I, don't, I don't know why, but that, or I, they was, could have, I was dying with laughter during that last minute. I just lost I, it. I feel like they could have started to see the beginning of the war ending. I didn't feel like it just had to be like, okay, this war ends now. Because that pointed to the fact that it because it is the war is just a backdrop an excuse a plot device to tell a story and the fact that it ended so abruptly made that very apparent i think it's used to show um, how it affects um well mainly howl because he lives in it he he fights in it and how it's affecting yeah, him well i guess we'll talk about and, that when we get to the characters but yeah it's uh and well that's what it's for and i and i think there's certain mo it's not it's not the whole film isn't the whole arc of the film isn't anti-war it's just these little no mo- moments there's definitely key scenes like they drop another pro- they um, drop propaganda on the thing which was done in world war Two. like yeah, that. And, then, like, and then people are like that that goes like oh this is bad and, and you're thinking like wait this actually happened so yes that is bad and then there's you know moments where like the city gets destroyed all this stuff that like you've connected with in the opening scene when sophie's walking through it and there's all these people and they're all happy and they're all love it and then you just see it all in flames all the time yeah. and and you're like oh why 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 war why have you ruined my lovely there is an opening scene yeah there's definitely anti-war message but it's not front and center neither i think i, I think i think it's just um that's just what he likes to, uh, Miyazaki likes to yeah. do because there's a lot of his other films are anti-war or anti, you know, industrialism or what, you know, all these like anti-capitalism, oh, yeah, I yeah. guess. I don't know exactly, but that's just, yeah, I think. I don't, I don't know what his political views were, but there, there's definitely messages about. Well, he grew up, um, as he was born, I don't know, maybe during or just after World War II. So he sort of had that. And then he obviously mm-hmm. grew up during a post-war Japan. So yeah, and I know, and I know that was like quite rough. Well, not quite. It was very rough, you know. For yeah, I mean, like that, that was a massive changing point for Japan um, after the horrible events of like Hiroshima and Nagasaki and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. so again, you probably again, that that goes back to storytelling. He grew up in such a powerful and emotional time in his country, um, 
and so he has a powerful stories to tell. I can't wait for all like, the people I'm sure who are this pandemic start writing will... about um, pandemics. Yeah, I was just going to say pandemic. Exactly. Yeah, it's a. Uh, that's it's a plug. Again, uh, a plug, marriage story. A plug. Um, my um, I've I've just done a little short film. Oh yeah, latest short film. Latest short. It's about me and lot. It's just like me in lockdown. So I guess that's my face reveal. If you don't know already. Yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah. whatever. Because I'm in it, but you know, <laughs> just check it out if you want. You don't have to. If you're not interested, <laughs> it's good. I would watch it. It's not even that long, so. Six minutes. Six minutes of your time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to go back to marriage story, because as much as I don't want to, it's not. It, Miyazaki had a I, I know powerful gonna, story to tell. Can we call this um, because of episode House Moving Castle slash marriage story? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, he grew up in a time that was that a was, um, big point in history, especially in Japan. So he had interesting stories to tell and interesting messages to convey. Um, so yeah, that comes across, and I like that. But the yeah. focus is really on well, the I'm characters sure, in this. I world. think every era of history, every you know decade, has a oh yeah, definitely interesting story. You know, be it the Vietnam War or like if you lived in LA from the sixties to seventies, you had the the transition of old Hollywood to new wave Hollywood, uh, East Coast. Yeah, you had stuff. You had, it's just all these different things. Even in this can, country, they had the. Uh, Minor strikes in minor um, strikes and under Thatcher and all of that. So yeah, everyone has a story to tell. You just have to pay attention. Yeah. And not make it about just a bunch of rich white people getting divorced. And punching walls and going, I wish you were dead. Yeah. Have you seen that um Oh god. I've God love him. Oh. Matt Adam Driver and um I think he's great as Kylo Ren. I first Wow, well, that, that's, the, that's the peak of his career, Kylo Ren. Yeah. People are, you know, loving him for this, but what did you think of Christian Bale in this? In Howl's Yeah, Castle? I was surprised to find out that he voiced Howl. Well, he... And, his, and his, Billy his, Crystal voices Calcifer. Here's how he Mike said Wazowski it, Mike right? Wazowski is Calcifer. <laughs> so he yeah. saw a spirited way and he immediately called his agent and went, if I will do literally anything... I will do it. anything. I will do anything for these people. Get off the set, uh, you! A... <laughs> no, we are done professionally. No, oh, seriously, geez. mate. Me and you Christian. are done professionally. Um, <laughs> if you've not seen that uh, clip of him just freaking out on set, props to him. He went on the radio, Ralph Garman's radio show, and apologized. So I appreciate him for that. But Mark, uh, not Mark, but um, Ralph Garman still rid, rid, ruthlessly ridicules him. <laughs> ridicules him. You know about it. Even Christian Bale found it funny, though. He admitted he was out of line there. Anyway, you know, I'm sure hot, he's a hot nice day. guy. As long as you don't... Hot day, thirsty. Yeah, I'm sure he I was mean, just... Jeremy Clarkson, he punched a guy because his state was underdone. <laughs> you know? Oh, Jeremy we Clarkson all, is no We all nonsense. have our moments. I mean, yeah. I can't believe I'm defending Jeremy Clarkson. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hello, horse. I shall call you Burger. <laughs> That's one of my favourite was lines. That, was, that, was, he, was he just with you? Have you? Are you in lockdown together with Jeremy Clarkson? Yeah, that was Jeremy right here. This is the best car in the world. Is he just going to go do the, the washing up or something now? Okay, Jeremy, go and sell your potatoes to your old people in your village. Isn't that nice of him? Um, he's, well, he's been growing potatoes during the lockdown and giving them away. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
I like I mean, a, are we even talking about house? We are talking about house. We yeah. spent 20 minutes talking about house. Okay. Just give us a break, everyone. Yeah. Um, to move on to the characters. Now, I loved every one of them. Yes. Pretty even, much. Even the scarecrow, who doesn't even speak. But then he does speak and he goes, yeah. Hello, I'm the prince. I love you. Yeah, until he spoke, I loved him as a character because of the fact <laughs> no, he didn't you, speak. You see me hops away. He's still hot. Yes. I, in the crystal ball, he gets on a flipping stick and just hops away. I was like, <laughs> the man can walk now. Don't use a stick. What's, that was so weird. And he goes, but, he goes like, bon voyage. Woo. And then hops. <laughs> oh my God. I love the kid oh. who put a fake beard on. Never explained. Yeah. The guy who voiced him, um, I've, I've got his name written down somewhere. Uh, he must have been a kid at the time, obviously. Joss Hutchison, he did very well because child actors are often very hit or miss with their performances. Yes. Um, but he was like, yeah, very convincing performance, uh, especially in voice, which can be hard to portray because um, you're not physically acting. You, well, you are, but it's not seen. Yeah, dude. So he did very, very good job. Um, uh, Billy all Crystal, the voice actors Calcifer. in this movie. Yeah. Very witty. Beautiful. Very Beautifully funny, animated comic as relief. well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he gets a happy Definitely. ending. Howl, I mean, like, yes, it was a bit monotone, but I didn't. I think that's just the point. Yeah, I, th- I think because he, he still conveys emotion through, but in these sort of, like, these outburst bits, you know, when his hair turns red, that's yeah, a, yeah. that's an outburst bit. He turns goofy. I'd say <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> that's weird. Again, it's so weird. What I'll say about this movie uh, before we get onto kind of the characters in more depth, probably just Howl and Sophie because they're the said the the uh, center of this movie yeah um the whole movie is like a fever dream it's just well i loved so how weird. i loved how magic was magic even to probably like the people watching it like yeah you it, know how you watch like you know modern yeah. fantasy stuff and it's like you can go on the wiki and read about magic and stuff and it's like oh yes i knew exactly how it's done but this is just literally magic as magic is supposed to be like they don't explain like why is how goopy oh i guess people could turn to monsters Oh, here's a yeah. fire demon. Oh, that's cool. It's just sort of like part of the reason it's thrown out. There. I love this. Yeah, I love this movie because it's kind of like this world is just the whole premise, the world, the characters are just completely bonkers. It has no bounds. Like it's like the the writers just felt no obligation to follow any sort of convention or rules. It's just completely out there. There's, you know, there's demons, spells, witches, wizards. There's a war going on. Um, it's set in this weird European steampunk world. Yeah, and there's um, nothing wizards, stereotypical about it. Wizards turn into monsters to fight. Yeah, instead of just you know like shooting a laser beam or something. Yeah, and the, because it's so detached, because it's so out there, because it's so different to nothing we've seen before. You, you feel as if anything can happen next. You don't know what's around the corner. You can never predict because there's again, like you said, there's no wiki to go look up the rules, like in Harry Potter or Game of Thrones about this spell does this. It's so yeah. abstract. It's such an abstract interpretation of magic, which I feel like is what it would be in real life. The word magic brings up the word mag- magic. By definition, is like yeah. The, well, it's it's miracle, isn't it? It's unexplainable. And I just I just love how it's not. Yeah, it isn't defined in these movies. There, there doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's any barriers, so you have no idea what will happen next, and it adds to that sense of wonder and adventure. You never well, what, know. Watching this, I was thinking, like, yes, this is what this is what I would this is what fictional magic should be for me. And I, Definitely, and for, yeah. and for me, and for me, um, if I was writing something, you know, similar or a fantasy series, I would go, yeah, I don't need to explain my 
magic. I can yeah, give this it, made me I want to go it, right I, about. I can give it limits, but yeah. I can't. I don't have to go. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, if it's a rock, it it beats scissor. You know, like that. Yeah, it's not like a Pokemon, for example. Water beats fire. That kind yeah, of stuff. It's like, so abstract. It's so weird. And there are places like, where one that minute works. We're in like, a castle. The next, yeah, but. There's just so many twists and turns in this movie where, you know, we're in the castle, then we're on a high street. And oh, that like, door. The- that door, they were like... Yeah, that was that's, great. That's taking a concept and running with it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that points to a larger storytelling thing, which I loved in this movie, to move away from, again, the magic is... Um, she's in the moving castle. She falls asleep. Then she wakes up. Then we're on the high street. And you're like, what the heck has gone on here? Why are yeah. we here now? What's this? And then it's explained with the little ding, the little ding dong, swirly wheel, whatever it's called, makes the noise. The they basically change. Yeah, it's essentially a space time continuum portal thing. Well, I think it's There's just so like, much of that in a, this movie. It, the one side of the door connects to you know three other doors. Yeah, it's essentially like a TARDIS. Yeah. Um, and how's like the doctor? I'll get onto that. How much he's like Doctor Who when we talk about oh his character. God. But the story does this so much where it sets up these kind of inexplicable weird things that make you go, what the? And then they explain it later on. It's such a masterful way of telling a story. Because, mm. like, again, Howell kind of does this weird thing where he melts away and he, and he freaks out about his hair and he's so vain. And you're just like, what's going on here? What? And and the witch turns Sophie into an old lady, and all these weird, seemingly abstract things. She turns into her into an old lady for basically no reason. Yeah, but then it all comes together. She so says you find that out. Hal was overtaken by a demon of greed, which explains his vanity, and he's been running from these people ever since, which explains his outburst. It wasn't the fact that he had his hair dyed; it's the fact that yes, he's vain. But this was the straw that broke the camel's now back. He's, he's now sick he's, of hiding and running. He's coming back to be yeah. You know, normal. And he, and that's what the down. end of the film. Yeah, and I, I and loved how I, just, I loved how they didn't explain like why how you sort of have to figure out why Sophie yeah. transitions from you know old. She gradually gets younger I did as like the film that. goes on, and you find out oh, it's because she's accepting who she is. Yeah, essentially. But again, like there's so many abstract and weird perceives, things in this movie. How she perceives herself as the sorry to cut you off, but how she perceives herself is. The, as the old woman, that's what she says at the yeah. start. She says, "I'm not pretty. I wear plain clothes." And she she sort of just sort of like imprisoned herself in that mentality and that perception of herself. And then over the course of her, she gradually just goes, "Yeah, I can be super cool. I can wear bright colors and have silver hair, and you know, kiss literally everyone in the final scene. The scarecrow, the turnip. She kisses that. The fire yeah. kisses that. She kisses the uh, old woman." Boy, Howl, yeah, uh, who is currently like, a giant crow or whatever. Uh, probably kisses it's weird. The, probably kisses the moving castle. Probably kisses uh, the king. <laughs> uh, probably kisses um, I don't know the wheelchair wizard or whatever her name was Salamander, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but I think yeah, just I just love the way that this movie raises so many questions. Like, why did she turn into an old lady? And it's not nothing spoon fed. Uh, that's what, even though the story wasn't the most coherent, I love the way it was told. Because all these weird things happen. Hal appears out of nowhere, so gets turned to an old lady. Hal has like these secret emotional problems, and it all gets brought together gradually. Like oh, everything has they were a, both corrupted. A, what do you call it? 
everything has a resolution, everything gets an answer. Yeah. It doesn't matter Seemingly how abstract how, and weird how things. It, that, it doesn't yeah. It doesn't matter. It's not it's not in the second act midpoint or whatever, you know. Yeah, in a lot of movies it is spoon fed nowadays. Whereas with this it's like, oh, you you put it all together in your head, they trust the viewer to be smart about what's going on. So oh she chased her into an old lady because she fell in love with Howl and she's greedy and she wants him to himself. Howl freaks out about his hair because he has deeper emotional problems. It's no, in this movie, I'd say don't take anything at face value. Everything has a deeper meaning. Like even the the witch of the wastes is set up to be this villain, and you you and she completely and, gets um, com- like completely destroyed yeah. halfway through. Like it speaks to that adventure. Like we think we're going on this big adventure with Sophie, and we think that's what it's going to be, and it turns into something much bigger than you ever thought it could be, and that's what adventures are. Like. The the main villain turns out to be a wreck by the end of it. It turns out she's not she's not what she seemed. Hal's not what he seemed. This isn't at first we're made to think Hal's a good guy, she's a bad guy. He's confident, she's evil. But these stereotypes get broken down where it's like this man has deep emotional problems and he struggles and he's not everything he seems. And the witch is incredibly just evil and greedy. She's yeah, she's cursed. And she she um you know, she she's vulnerable herself because she gets just reduced to this senile old woman, ironically, just like she did to Sophie. So again, it, they break well, down that, these archetypes and, is, and throw she, wrenches. She yeah, disguised herself as curveballs. A, a beautiful woman. Yeah. Yeah. It was it's very strange, but she's because like, they really made her look grotesque, especially when she walks up the stairs and she's it's sweating. An I, it's an iconic design though. Uh, that makes it stick in yeah. her eyes. Like, oh, that's the witch of the waste, you know? I never thought, this movie would be able to give meaning to two old, slightly overweight women going upstairs very slowly. In any other movie, that would seem completely weird, but it feels you know, like it, it belongs last, in this movie. Last week, <laughs> it was when we, weird. we talked about the Irishman. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> I mean, that might yeah, work. Yeah, the whole movie just pauses for them to slowly crawl upstairs. And for some reason, but it, it kind of works. Like the, dog, the dog's heavy, so she has to carry the dog. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and it was funny when it turned out it wasn't Howl. It was just some dog. It's funny, but it's funny when uh, when Howl comes in as like all gallant as the as the king. He's disguised as the king, and the real king comes and he just goes, "Let's make more war." Yeah. Again, that shows that that really pointed to the fact that trust nothing you see in the screen. You don't know what's happening next because literally anything is possible. No one you see on the screen can be trusted, and nothing you see can be trusted because. It's a world of magic where anything can be faked, uh, which makes it really interesting. you like Sophie? I think immediately she's instantly likable. Yeah. I preferred her as an old lady because if you think about typical adventure movies, most have, um, you know, a big dashing hero or heroine to save the day. Um, you know, super glamorous. Yeah. But she's an old lady. She's a little old lady. And this is like, Again, it's the the concept of just it's it's about an old lady going on an adventure. It's so unique and different. It was so interesting to see. I love the sequence just before she gets to the castle, even though it was short lived. I wish we would have seen more of that. Yeah, you know, her complaining about joints aching and being cold and not being able to do things as well and making little quips and dealing with this curse. She seems a lot more confident as an old old. lady. It's quite strange. Yeah, and I think that's explained because she says, um. I've grown, you know, you 
one thing about being old is that you tend not to be scared or something. So it looks like she was advanced in terms of her mental age as well, um, which was kind of like the Witch of the Wastes one mistake. She made her mentally older. Yeah, she became wise. She became... And it was so interesting to... She she wasn't a physically strong hero. She wasn't braving the wilds and taking down monsters. It was really interesting when she wasn't like looking at herself. You know, when she was asleep, she was normal. Yeah, it was odd. Um, I love that her younger self came through sometimes, but I just love the sequences where she's an old lady, the way she deals with the world and the wilderness and, and, and this adventure is very different. It's not like, you know, Legend of Zelda or something like that. We're like, I'm a hero. I'm going, I'm killing monsters. She's like, oh, well, how can I do this? How can I do that? I need to sit down for a bit. It's a different interpretation of your typical adventure story through the eyes of a very different protagonist. It's still an adventure, really but it's not the archetypal adventure yeah i mean who would have thought that a, a story about an old lady trying to remove a curse from herself by going off well into no the yeah, yeah. It's be a, young, a young woman who's been turned into an old lady well, yeah. because herself. essentially but i just like the element you know i like the fact that it was an unsuspecting protagonist essentially um which i liked well i really liked her straight away i was like she's very um human immediately yeah. and that and so even when she's like i'm not i'm not beautiful oh no you know i was like oh yeah mm. i think people can relate to this i mean her family is yeah. a bunch of scumbags because they she goes away for weeks on end and uh they she just they never acknowledge her and then like her mum just comes in like towards the end and just portrays her immediately and this goes i'm so sorry sophie i thought it was weird that she was more surprised by the fact that her daughter's old well i guess world um, of magic you know whatever yeah and also that she was um why didn't they just use an illusion of a mother because they can create illusions that was weird but i guess it gives closure and makes us think oh well it's okay that sophie goes off into the yeah into the distant uh, into the whatever unknown with a new family it gives us closure on that front so we're not just like why is she not gonna like tell her family that she's never coming back so i guess it did that <laughs> So, um, uh, Howl, should we talk about him? Title character? Yeah. Um, he's an odd one. It was really he interesting. reminds me of a mixture of David Bowie and Doctor Who. <laughs> he did look like David Bowie. Yeah. It's it strange. He um, had that weird cape coat thing. Yeah. I, I really liked his introduction where he's like, so this, you know, genie-like figure, he can literally do anything. And he sort of That's wh- why I li- think he literally sweeps everyone off their feet, you know, Sophie off her feet. Yeah. He, that's why I think he's like the Doctor Who. He has a dark past and big character f- flaws uh, underneath, but on the outside, he appears confident and in control. He's quite witty and humorous. And he tries to keep people cheerful and act like, you know, I've got, I, I've got the hang of this. I, you know, I, I know worry. exactly what I'm doing. You know, everything's yeah. Whereas we know, yeah. Whereas in Doctor Who and this both characters are like secretly they question themselves all the time. They don't know what they're doing. They, they have a dark past. They're self-conscious and they just put on this show to reassure their companions. That's really interesting. Basically the doctor. It's a really interesting archetype that I'd like to, you know, explore. I guess I'd like to see more. I personally think it's because yeah, it's the mark of an interesting kind of role model or hero archetype. 
um, because they're not just take you, you know, not to take them at face value. They're not it's, just this perfect person. It's sort of like they have um, flaws. It's sort of like um, a combination between the hero and the like the mentor character because they have they are wise. They because they've um, for the doctor he's immortal, so he's lived forever, and he has all this experience. Yeah. But he, but because he's still a a human and not in the literal sense, he has still has flaws. He's not like. I know exactly yeah. what I'm doing. You know, it's, and it's a, lot more, it's a lot more engaging, I think. Definitely. I love characters that you, you can't take at face value. Um, they may seem like a stereotypical hero on the outside, but on the inside, you know, they're deep and complex. And that's why in Do- I'm a fan of Doctor Who. And I, I just love this, the, the overarching story of him and Gallifrey and dealing with his past selves. Mm. Um, sure, it's fun to see this man go on adventures well, and do everything and be awesome. But... It's also fun to explore his darker side and his his dark past and his secrets and his flaws and and what he's done wrong. And that's, and that's what, what they, this movie does. That's what they do, yeah. Because in House first scene, yeah. like I said, he literally sweeps off feet. Like he looks like this guy that can do anything, and then he comes in, looks like he's doing do anything. But there's these little moments where he comes in, he's like, you know, he's half still half monster, and he like he's bleeding, and he's like he has to like slump over. And it's all dark, and he's yeah. like, I mean, he's always. He's he's even like the doctor in the sense he's got this like weird TARDIS thing and he's got companions. It's it's so weirdly close, um, but he keeps his companions busy and happy by does, giving them fun adventures and taking them to nice places um, because they mean a lot to him. But he's also secretly going off his own adventures and fighting this secret war, and he's got his own agenda. Well, it's not a secret like war, but, but well, yeah, but he's secretly fighting it. Um, without the knowledge of his companions, or, or the, he didn't want the them to worry, because because he he's pretending to be two different wizards in two different kingdoms. Yeah, and again, it's like the Doctor. He he went off to fight, helping the Time War and, and stuff like that. He has a he has his own hidden past and agenda that he has to deal with, as well as keeping his companions happy. And like Markle says, he'll just disappear for days on end and not come back. And yeah. it, it adds a sense of mystery to him. And again, it makes us ask questions about him. Um, so, and even, he even hides his, his dark past from Markle. Cause like he said, uh, the kid, because, um, he said, I've only seen him break down like this once before. So you can tell he's got a lot of pent up frustration and sadness and anger and inner conflict. Mm. So I think that makes him a really deep and interesting character. Yes. Um, yeah. And people should do that more. They should. Um, and then of course there's just minor characters like the witch of the waste who kind of um she's, the she's an interesting character but again she more served to show sophie's compassion because even after doing this horrible thing to sophie she cared for her and, and, again, and portraying Howl again by f- nearly killing the fire guy calcifer yeah and i like that no one was perfect in this movie sophie makes mistakes that almost kills Howl. yeah towards the end so does the witch she's very selfish um Again, it's that demon of greed, but they all learn lessons and they all become better people by the end of it, which I liked. I did, I did like the ending. I just thought it wasn't the most coherent. I think it's and it be- all felt a bit too a, perfect. It's a beautiful. I think it's really. I think it's a fantastic ending. Personally, I think the final yeah. shot where they're on the, I think they're the, on the new were there. they're on the new flying castle, and you see. I did watch. I did watch the video, everyone. So I whatever. <laughs> I'm basically stealing whatever, but yeah. To begin with, everyone's very like it's about character design and how they transition between the film. So Hal is very exactly. like 
look at me, I'm Ziggy Stardust, baby, at the start. Yeah, essentially. And um, and then by the end, he's just wearing like a white shirt and he has black hair, black, shorter black hair. And Sophie's sort of the opposite. She's like very like subdued, but she like, she has a bit of splash of color on her and she has like this bright silver hair now. And it's like, yeah. And, and you go, and then like, it's just a final shot of them. And they're these two now, now complete people are, they're, they're happy together. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, that's neither are trying to be something beautiful. Not. She's lost her self doubt. Hal's lost his. No, what they were doing, what they were doing was before, before they were someone who they weren't. And that's the theme that Studio yeah. Ghibli do in, in all the, I, when I, I mentioned at the start only yesterday, there's very similar themes mm. of self-acceptance in that film and this one. I think self-acceptance is something that, yeah, definitely mm. you should show to everyone, especially children who are probably the the main demographic to this film. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, that is the big. And I these to say the biggest uh, themes of this movie are about dealing with age, dealing with love, dealing with self-confidence, and dealing with the fact that people can be forgiven. Um, yeah, because the I, witch I like, is forgiven for her actions, and Sophie remains compassionate. It teaches us to, you know, see past, see the good in people, see the best in people, not the worst. Don't doubt yourself so much. Don't don't take people at face value either. Don't yeah. think someone's better than don't you because they have covered. their own problems. Yeah, they have their own problems. They have their own issues. They may seem like this perfect David Bowie wizard on the outside, but on the inside, they're just like anyone else. I'm going you know, to turn it's you about self acceptance into the air, um, maybe. Come into my moving castle. Oh God, that sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> All yeah, right, I love that bombshell. Thank you. That's our. We're just yeah, gonna, that's our thoughts on this off. movie. Slightly sporadic, but I mean, we always are. Slightly sporadic film. Yeah. Oh, slight. Yeah, very sporadic film, but that adds to the charm. Can I just say, like, what? It was again, I just, just say, like a one big fever dream. One last thing, just as yeah. a sort of a footnote, Studio Ghibli. Um, I think they're perfect kids' films because they're not like, you know, LOL memes. Look at the trolls. Yeah. Look at the look at the emojis flossing not, or whatever. It's, yeah, so, yeah. I was it about is to say, actually, it's not the emoji movie. <laughs> it is actually ta- tackling something that kids have to learn or think about, and they yeah. don't. And they don't go like you see, like how bleeding. They don't. They don't censor anything. You see him naked. Yeah. Which it's is quite strange. But <laughs> that was weird. His towel falls off and his bare butt just goes past the screen. You're like, okay. Like zoom in close up, like whoa. Uh, yeah, that was weird. I could picture a YouTube, a, YouTube, a YouTube thumbnail, most lewd. XXXX. Oh, yeah. Because it's like it's top just, ten anime. <laughs> top ten anime oh, but uh yeah. <laughs> must skip to end. Don't skip to end uh, or whatever. Don't um, skip to end. Number five it will astound but, you. How slimy butt. <laughs> um, That's funny. But but that because kids aren't stupid. Like they see the yeah. world they see the world so many they see the world differently to adults or you know Definitely. But they also see it very similar like in the same way. So so many kids' movies are condescending and they assume kids are stupid and that they just want a popcorn flick. They just want to be And of it's, course it's like how kids parents do just want put their that, kids. But you know, oh, sometimes I, I would do, show I would definitely show um these films over, you know, because oh, I think yeah, definitely. Because it's you know how parents these days tend to just 
they don't want the kid around. They put the kid down. They give them an iPad. Okay, uh, let's. Can we just? Uh, I do agree on the giving them the iPad, but you say they don't want the kid. I think that's a bit. Well, you know, sometimes kids are like. Uh, I have seen they, yeah, they're wine, seen. they're running about, they're being they're, they're essentially being a kid, and some parents are just like, oh, so they give them an iPad and sit them down and like that's done. That's essentially what sub studios do with these kids, like the emoji movie or the Angry Birds movie or things like that. It's just like make a movie, they'll distract them for two hours. But a movie shouldn't be that. If you're gonna show a kid a movie, show them so assume that they're clever, assume that they have a brain, because by God, kids are kids have their own it's show, a, the mind of a child. It's like Yoda. Truly wonderful. The mind of a child is. Show them, show them a uh, seven. I don't know. Show them. I don't know. That's a really graphic <laughs> film, by the way. Show them Chinatown. Oh, Who cares? But, you know, show them, show them these movies because they will take something away from it. They might not analyze it like we do and sit there and go, "This means this." Whoa! It. It's just they'll take something away from it. They'll learn a lesson subliminally, like, subconsciously. Like, they will learn. Like we said. Like it's, I it's said what, at the start. I saw these films and I was and it and it, they affect yeah. me so I mean they're, they're probably going to do that again for some it's other like people. it's why Pixar films are so successful but the emoji movie no one cares about because they have a deeper meaning because it teaches both kids and adults valuable lessons about life they're more than a kids film and this movie is more than a kids film and that's the best compliment I can give it I think so even though it terrified me as a kid <laughs> this film is universal that's yeah. how everything has to be to be effective. It's a story. It's not just. Uh, it's not just sit down and be distracted for two hours. It's a meaningful story, and that's so, why I love about it. That's why the official taking a Hollywood rating is big thumbs up. Big thumbs up, definitely. How many big thumbs up are we given? I think that's like every episode. I think. We've I think given yeah, everything we've given a thumbs up. I think we gave the Godfather much. Part Three a middle thumbs up. Yeah, because even that had redeeming qualities. And I don't. I think I the only one I gave a down thumbs up. But I didn't think I said it on the episode was Charlie Chocolate. I gave that a down thumbs up. Yeah, I gave that an up though. So I don't think there's been any movie we've uh, universally agreed is bad. We Until we get on some marriage story, tune in next week. Oh Woo! God, I'm never covering that movie. I've se- I've only seen clips from it, and I, I can already tell I could not I, sit through it. Uh, so just before anyone like debates our villains, I have I have seen it, so, yeah. and I don't like it. Yeah, and you've recounted to me what it's like, and I've seen clips online, and it's just too self into Anyway, I just... Should uh, uh, we move on? Yeah. Um, do you want to go? Do you want to do your thing? Yeah, I'll go. I do my thing? I don't know how long this okay, will take, Okay, well, it's time for... Calm time down for Calm Down Cube. Cube. <laughs> what a great little intro. <laughs> <laughs> I love listening to wow. it. Wow. I totally did just edit that intro in, in post-production. Thanks, Dave. That's our in-house musician. He record, He does the songs yeah. for us. Um, <laughs> anyway, so today I want to talk about flashbacks and backstory in relation to, you know, stories and stuff. Yeah. And how it could be effective. So I've been doing a lot of writing recently. Hmm. I can vouch for this, and uh, I think, and I've really like sort of gravitated towards this backstory thing to sort as a sort of um, a sort of a device to help present exposition. That I can't really weave in organically to stuff, and I think, yeah, backstory is flashback, but not all flashback is backstory. Backstory 
that um that develop that that gives you a detail to the character that you don't already know and it develops some more so it goes oh so that's why they do this so that's why they are like this like um a great example would be um in avatar last airbender in right. Zuko, the the antagonist for the first season, at least fire fire prince man with a black eye. He's, he's got a third degree burn on his face, mate. It's not a black eye. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you see, like for the first few episodes of the first series, you're like, oh, so this guy's like the villain. Yeah, 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 whatever. But then you get this episode where it's like, oh, so this is why he is like that. And that's backstory, yeah. but it's not just like a flashback to it. Like, oh look, like I think a flashback, can, a flashback can be like you know anything past that. But backstory, anything before the present, but a backstory actually has a bit of a purpose to it. And I think it's a great way of developing a character if you if he's like like we said in the discussion about Howl's Moving Castle. If they're an immortal character like the Doctor or like anyone they can if you have you if you have a lot of backstory for, for them because they've lived so long or whatever if you just sort of like pick key moments write them and then sort of write and then you can use these moments to develop a story that sort of it's complementary yeah um what do you I think, think i agree one thing I can't stand is when a character, a villain especially, uh, they're confronted by the hero and they go, I had a tragic past. And then they just start talking about their tragic past and why they do it. And then they reveal all their plan. It's really lazy. Um, but for example, the way you're writing yours and the way they do it in Better Call Saul, which we talked about, was it last, last week? Yeah, it was like, it was last, last episode. Yeah, last episode. Um, it was the Irishman episode, if this doesn't go yeah. out in order. Uh, Essentially, they tell the backstory in an interesting way. At the start of every season, they have a little black and white clip. Well, that's a flash, uh, well, that's, that's not a, a backstory. That's a that's a, a flash, flash forward. forward. But the same applies where it's like you're given elements of the past or the future that make you kind of go. It intrigues you. The the villain or the hero doesn't just stand there and recount it all to you. They're telling this story in the current day, and you're seeing slowly as the story's being told little crumbs of the backstory or the aftermath are given to you and it makes you think well how did they either how did they come to this place that we're seeing or how did they get to that place it's a I very think, interesting way of telling stories because it helps you make sense of the story you're being told and it helps contextualize as you're telling your story your main story the back the flashbacks or the flash forwards contextualize it so you see in Better Call Saul, he sits down and puts the VHS tapes and reminisces. And then maybe in that episode, I don't know, you see him starting to feel that personality or something like that. I don't know, as an example. Well, in Better Call something Saul, that's relevant that's from their what, past. That's yeah, the end, to reinforce that's the main the story. end game, isn't it? So, yeah. And I think the same applies if it's backstory or flash forward, or because you still yeah. see what happens to that character to make them. I think it it's, can... it's, it's it's different, but it's the same sort of base principle. So like, so if it's a flashback or a back, and you get some backstory about a character, it tells them, it tells the audience, like, oh, that's why they've done something, and it goes. But if it's a flash forward, it goes, 
oh that's what is that's what why they're doing this yeah or or in the case of better call Saul, that's that's what he eventually becomes he rises yeah, it, it, it's a rise it it's, a, um, it's a it's sort of a, a dark mirror rise of a character and then in yeah. the black and white sections you see the fall so it's the rise of Saul Goodman and then when he becomes uh, fall, Gene yeah. it's the fall and you go oh so and that's what I really what like about these is it adds spice to the main story it, it gives you something else to think about and look forward to and um, kind of piece together and it aids the main story sure it's all well and good to tell an interesting story but dropping in these hints of someone's past or their future makes you think how did they how did they come from that or how did they get to that place if it's a flash forward and especially and it makes it so much more interesting because it puts their current story through a different lens and it makes you ask questions about this person what this i world. what i've tried to do is with mine i'm going to sound really like self-indulgent or whatever but <laughs> or bragging or whatever no but what i've tried to do with mine i don't know if this is good or not obviously um, but what I've tried to do is I've tried to show the seed of their personality, you know, like, oh, so, so like you'll, you like maybe the origin of a core belief, like why, mm, so like yeah. you, so if like they're, you know, they really care about people and they want to help everyone, maybe you do a, a like a flashback or you show why they care about it. Cause it just makes them a lot more three dimensional and deeper. Like it's all well and yeah. good if the hero, you know, is good and stuff, and is like, I'm going to save the day, and I love, I'm going to save everyone, I'm going to save the world. Because well, why? Yeah. Why? Why? What? Why does he want to do? Why do they want to do I that? Think and they go. If you give a, a flashback, it, you, you go, oh well, now I know why. But and because it's, you know, yeah. I don't know. Um, when they were little, I mean, obviously a bit contrived, you know, like when they were little, they saw these people dying, they couldn't help, and now they have a. In, but if you, I mean, obviously, you can make it more engaging if you just think about it a bit more. You know, a show that does this really well as well is Westworld, where you know you've got this park run by this slightly mad, mental, <laughs> John Hammond case. Yeah, and his past is slowly revealed through flashbacks. His past with um, Arnold and stuff. We won't spoil and his, it. And his family as well. But that, that's sort of a, a unique flashback because you don't know if yeah. it's him recreating it through the the robots in Westworld, or is it? Uh, I mean, in some cases, it's literally just a flashback. But there's like spoilers for. Can we do? Should we just do a spoiler? If you want to spoil it, just skip. I don't know a minute ahead. Yeah. Um, so Ford, he recreates his fam his family from when he was a child, and that sort of. And then you get an, a sense, and he goes like. Oh yeah, my dad was like the liquor or whatever, and it goes. Oh, maybe that's so. Yeah, traumatic past. That's probably why he's a bit yeah. like this. I think there's an art to telling certain aspects of a character's backstory in conjunction with the main story. So if you're putting prologues before every episode, have a yeah, flashback that reinforces that episode's themes. Well, yeah, exactly. So have a have a flashback that reinforces that episode's theme. So better call Saul to go back to that. There, there's actually a flashback of Saul in his dad's shop, which was mentioned before. Chuck and Saul talked about their dad and why they both kind of yes. were disappointed by him. Because Chuck was like, he was never a good businessman. And, and Saul never liked him because he was the sheep of the world and everyone else were the wolves who preyed on him. And they showed that flashback later on in the series, yeah, like which a couple contextualizes of those statements. That's yeah. what, yeah. And you, in that it episode, gives context, I believe, 
yeah and in the episode i believe that's when chuck's taken jimmy to court i think um so it reinforces the themes of that episode of being like you know this was their father and it kind of reinforces that these two brothers both almost look down on their father and just now they're a, a nice person uh, he was a nice shows. person but the, they are yeah and they both look down on him because of that so again it contextualizes the father-son relationship the brotherly relationship it, it gives them a bit of backstory and then we cut to the present where jimmy's kind of been slipping jimmy and he's committing crimes and there's an art to to using flashbacks to contextualize the story you're about to tell and to add deeper meaning to it yeah and that's what that show does so does westworld it's not just here's a flashback here's a bit of the main story they're linked there's a reason they tell that part of the flashback during this episode because it reinforces the themes of said episode so and um yeah i think we just want to i think that's all i want to say really on my little section yeah i mean so is a powerful in conclusion everyone backstory is important you should probably i go i i think i I think you should think about it if you don't want to i mean i'm not gonna stop who cares (laughs) but you know i i think it's important for what i want kind of stories i want to tell you know eventually and i think it's just a really useful narrative device i guess now it's time to move on to uh for me to get onto my soapbox that's a it's Sunny Soapbox. Hargy, hargy! I declare myself pickled tank! Shut your fucking mouth! Shut the fuck up, you cunt! Boy, that escalated quickly. Sound in cinema, much like backstory, is a powerful thing. I'm, I'm going out strong with it for sort my of first it, sort, of it, sort of in a different way, though. I'm not like in the same way. Oh, yeah, way. definitely. No, but in cinema... I think sound often goes unappreciated. Yes. Um, or overappreciated because people because, love to yeah, bang it's on like, about it's it. Like, um, yeah, it's like lighting. If it's, if it's right, it works. It's not necessarily something a general audience will notice. General mm. audiences tend to notice, or notice, focus on characters and story and the world and the set design. Lighting and sound tend to fly under the radar because they're very subtle, but there's an art to it, to both. And if they're wrong, it's very obvious. Um, and I think sound, along with lighting, often goes underappreciated. Um, now, I've been editing these podcasts over the past few weeks, and sound, I'm just going to say, sound is hard. <laughs> getting good sound, making it work, getting a good quality to it, because everyone's voice is different, is hard. And the, the, I can only imagine how much work goes into making a movie sound good, both in terms of music, atmosphere, the foley, voiceover, capturing performance. It's crazy the amount of work that goes into it. And in so many movies, you know, the music, like in House Moving Castle, the music just works. Mm, yeah. Um, it just blends in. But if it was wrong, you'd notice. There's an art to getting it right and to increasing the immersion of the audience. Uh, George Lucas was famously quoted as saying, the only thing that I completely... Was satisfied ding, ding, with, ding, with ding. the original Star right. Wars was the soundtrack. How many? Can we? Can we, can we, we should have a tally on screen. I think that's like three, three, number three, or number four at this point. Um, but yeah, it's true. He recognised that the power of sound is. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week in the, with the Irishman. The sequences with music, and then the sequences of just pure silence. The sequences where the sound just cuts out. Yeah. Um, there's an art to it, 
there's an art to constructing and using sound in cinema. And lack I, of sound I know, is I know often for, more powerful than an abundance of it as well. I know firsthand that sound is really difficult because... Oh, yeah. We both do. Oh, good Lord. Well, no, I mean, I'm not... I mean, I'm not like going, oh, yes, I know exactly how it feels for industry professionals, but I know for what I've done oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. my own. On an indie level, on a, kind of. Well, indie is, I mean, I'm not even indie. I'm probably sub indie at this point, but, <laughs> you know, what, what I've done in yeah. my, you know, kitchen or whatever, you know, I've done with my camera, yeah. just recording off that. Like, I mean, just for me, my in terms of interest, I'm a bit more like, you know, storytelling visuals. Um, you know definitely. sort of the definitely the camera and the story is more interesting to me so i've never focused on like oh yes i need to get a microphone that's why almost yeah. that's why most of my films are uh silent <laughs> i just didn't put any dialogue <laughs> in them because like i cannot do this and also i'm not yeah so uh, yeah it's um so and then, that, and then when i was even going through that i was like oh god i need to get these I need to get these sound effects. And I was like, but I don't actually know how to make them sound good. So I sort of made them sound all right, but they still sound quite out of place. But, you know, make do what, yeah. what, what you can and you just get it out. And and you can explain to people, like, they go, oh, the sound was a bit naff. It's like, well, well my intention wasn't <laughs> to focus on sound. It was supposed to focus on, you know, either like framing or um, just this um, narrative divide or like, you know, it's like you, you, no film has to be like, especially if you're like first starting out making a film. It doesn't have to be, you know, perfect. Yeah, it just has to be. If you if you don't if you're like I'm going to make a movie and I really want to focus on how on lighting or something or on framing, you can just make a movie and focus on that, and then then explain to people. Go, yeah, I was focusing on this and blah blah blah. Then I don't know the sound is great or the the camera isn't fantastic, but that wasn't the point. It was sort of just, yeah, there's it's, it's a lot of student and indie films. There's nothing that ruins them more than having a powerful visual, you know, acceptable acting, that kind of stuff. Um, in these smaller films, cause you, you, you deal with what you got. And then suddenly out of nowhere comes a bunch of background noise hissing. And this one person going, Oh yeah. And just saying some dialogue and cutting <laughs> out. You're like, what the, like my, that's my point about it being, if it's wrong, you know it's wrong. I mean, yeah, like um, I, I didn't. I wasn't saying like you just don't have to disregard sound. I was saying, oh yeah, just, definitely. You still, yeah. you still have to focus on it, but but it doesn't Work have to, to be strengths. perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. Like eventually, when you get to like, I don't know, either film school, it's like school you said, or, you 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 uh, you don't use that much dialogue because you work to your strengths of visuals and storytelling. Yeah, well, um, I I know my limitations. I can make yeah. I can make something, you know, like people are like I, I want to make a movie, but um, like I don't have the money. It's like, well, yeah, there's no excuse for well, not just right, trying right something. something. I thought like, well, I'm not great. I probably can't pick up dialogue with the camera I have. Um, mm-hmm. I won't be, I won't, I'm not incredibly confident. I wasn't confident at the time. This was my first short I did. I wasn't incredibly confident with directing someone to actually speak. Yeah. And I wasn't, so I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not terribly confident on dialogue either, but you know, I think it's fine. Yeah. I mean, people, people can, uh, you know, email in and go, Oh my God, Alex, I watched your first short film <laughs> on YouTube or whatever. It was absolutely dreadful. And, and that's called the feedback. So thank you. If you have, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you play to your strength. <laughs> so sound, a sound especially. Like I'm sure when I get to film school or whatever, and I have a, you know, that's when you develop a team, or when you go into yeah. work, or you know, I mean, probably more when you go into work, you develop a team. Like people don't, you, know, you tend to work with the same people because you, you like go, oh look, I, I know this guy really well. Yeah, it's you all trust them. It's connections. I'm doing the yeah. clicks, connections, connections. Yeah, and uh, who it's who you know, not what you know. But it, then, then to also say it is what you know because if you don't know anything, yeah. All right, but then know. again, you hear—I I can't remember which director. I don't mean to slander anyone, but apparently, one of the directors of the X Men movies would just disappear off set for days on end. One of um, the directors of the X Men movies, yeah, he just would disappear. Apparently, according to one of the actors, I'm not that read up on it, but I heard it covered somewhere briefly. Well, the interesting thing, Sonny, is actually he's a mutant and that's his power. He's invisible. He goes invisible. <laughs> he's invisible. So that's why he was perfect to do it the. It makes um, sense to do the X Men movies because he yeah. is actually a mutant. He's actually been to Charles Xavier's school for gifted people. We are talking about sound, right? Uh- <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back to the subject of sound. I just I think it's severely underappreciated in film. Because like I said, if you're in, like a movie like 1917, there's explosions, dialogue, there's rats scurrying around. If you watch that in IMAX, oh my God, the, exp- the sound experience alone, if you just close your eyes, it's such a meaningful experience. Imagine if the sound was just recorded on a Sony Handycam and it was kind of passable. That movie would be nothing. It could be the most visually beautiful movie in the world. It could work so well. Yeah, and I think that's... But if the sound isn't there, it's it's the same for any element of cinema, but I just think that it's underappreciated. Especially if it's, it's a... It's very passive. Big, big budget. Like this. Yeah, you, people, people you, just you, assume... You expect... Yeah, people don't excellence. think about how much effort goes into mixing and mastering these sounds, and there's an art behind how it's structured and what's, what's louder than this, what's louder than that. Uh, you see the Foley artists behind the scenes using like celery to simulate bones breaking and things. There's so much work that goes into it. And I think a lot of the time in cinema, deservedly so, the writers, directors, and actors are given a lot of credit because they're front and center. But there's all these people behind the scenes, the Foley artists, the sound engineers, the, the VFX in terms artists. of lighting, you know, yeah, the VFX artists, the directors of photography, the gaffers. There's so many people in cinema who work behind the scenes who don't get the recognition. If they weren't there... Like, it would be not Hollywood. I mean, like, obviously, obviously you, I, don't, you don't, this is in quote, need them for indies because that's all, that's like, if you're an indie guy, you have to sort of you, know every, everything, everything. And, and you're, yeah. but you're, you, you still have a team and they specialize in stuff, obviously, but yeah, you yeah. have to know because if you're not going to do it, no one's going to do it. But if it's, I think, I'd, I mean, we're sort of talking, you know, in, um, what do you, what do you call it? Um, hypotheticals here yeah yeah but but and then in hollywood it's like okay do that and then there's like 20 people who can do it and you go oh okay that's what a point i made i think we talked when we were talking about the mandalorian vfx is i'm into vfx i'm into this new stuff but in the heart of it i like writing i like movies i like stories but i don't underestimate the other elements of cinema and i feel like you can be the world's best director, the world's best writer, but if you don't fundamentally understand the sound, the, the needs, like, the, the technology, the needs to the make, need, yeah, the limit, the limitations the, of cinema, you're never gonna uh, kind of. There's nothing worse than someone going to you. Can we do this without any understanding? 
Yeah, like or, a like a like a writer yeah. for a TV show going to the director. Like you get a script and you have like this set budget of I don't know how yeah, however, exactly. however much, and you're like, and you read the script and you're like, oh, so I've got to film a plane crash. Uh, mm, how are we going to do that? Yeah, yeah. They kind so of like, people, they, yeah, the writers like they're going to go to space and fight aliens. You like, but the budget's only three million. <laughs> I mean, one phrase that the one phrase that bothers me the most is we'll fix it in post. It's so common in the film industry and I hate it because you're we'll basically just, we'll just saying cut around it. Yeah. Or fix it in, uh, it winds me up. I think that's why I was talking about my appreciation for John Favreau the other day, because he understands VFX. He used to hate, not hate, but he used to dislike CGI. Cause like he said, during it's the nineties, it, was it, it wasn't convincing. Yeah. But he said now he's starting to realize as the technology develops, how he said it started with Iron Man and now he's like, he's embracing it. I just think I appreciate him as a director. Cause he's not the kind of guy who goes, um, can we do this? Let's do this. I'll just do this. He gets the VFX side. He gets, he seems to get it. And he's not the kind of, writer or director would go and say and be like, can we do this? Why can't we do this? Can we do this? It's good to ask questions and understand what's feasible. But so many of the higher ups of the creatives, I, 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 I assume, um, go into a film and they're like, they know what they want, but they don't know the processes of getting there. They don't know well, what the camera does. They don't know what the sound mixer does. They don't know what the VFX guys do. So, so many people just say, we'll fix it in post. You have to know that word because you, you put, yeah, you make, um, I've I've visited, you know, I've met people who do VFX in the industry as someone who's interested in it. And they've they've said to me like one small decision on set because the the director or someone on set didn't get it, one one time-saving measure that would have said, taken them 3 seconds to fix, they have to pay painstakingly spend hours um brushing it out frame by frame. That's why because I, they said that, because they I said sort of we'll think, fix it in post. That's why I sort of think like you either go indie where you don't have to do yeah you have to you have to do not that much or if any VFX you would take you would do a script where you don't have to do any VFX or if you do very few and simple stuff where you just you have to put like yeah. a, a green screen up. That's I think you either commit to that if you want to do that or you commit to going full out like James yeah. Gunn. That's why like I, how um, he commits to fully CGI characters in his movies, in the yeah. Mar- in the Guardians and the Galaxy movie. And like I think there's that's so much work that, that goes into the VFX and sound and lighting. So I think, and people often underestimate it or overestimate it and what it can do, and just rely on the desk jockeys etc. to to fix it for them. When it really filmmaking should be a collaborative process. That's why I like this virtual production stuff. It brings VFX to filming on set. It's there. People can see it. They have to acknowledge acknowledge at that point its limits and what can and can't. And be it done. also makes it's it better easy, because yeah. it's yeah, not all just it's, in. It's all not not all just. Um, it doesn't feel as disjointed. Yeah, yeah. as well. Like, like the people on set can talk to the people who are making the VFX, and it's a collaborative process because so many times they throw up a green screen, shoot a scene, and go right, send it off to the VFX guys. We're done. Whereas virtual production allows greater collaboration, greater understanding between the different departments. In the end, filmmaking to get back to sound, filmmaking is a collaborative process. Every element matters. If one of them's off, it all falls apart. And I think films now um because there's so many behind the scenes documentaries i see them just throwing up a green screen and they're doing the thing we'll fix it in post and that really annoys me because 
filmmaking should be collaborative. Everyone should understand to some extent what the different departments do, what they can do, what can be achieved, what the limitations are. It shouldn't be a process of we'll shoot this, then send it to the VFX guy or the sound guys and they'll fix it. Um, so yeah, in, in essence, my rant this week is about filmmaking as a collaboration rather than just one guy pointing one director saying, you do this, you do this, and now we have a movie. So, yeah. Yes. And I think, can I just add a little bit onto the end of that, please? Yeah. Um, I think um, it all depends on what you're doing, really. If you're, you know, on a, a semi-big production or a big production or whatever, then, yeah, you have to know your stuff. And I think... Yeah. And then, But if you're in an independent production, you also have to know your stuff, but it's a very different context. Yeah. Yeah. In my view, directors and producers and even actors shouldn't just be that. They should have a fundamental, at least basic understanding of every department of film. And that's what I try and do. I try and study sound. I try and study VFX. I try and study lighting. And even though some of those things might not interest me as much, I understand that if I want to make a film one day, if I want to write something, I have to know at least to some extent what each of these things can do with. And, um, I don't, I don't know if yeah. this is true, but I, I, I sort of have this vision of like a writer just going, great, some studio, a studio has picked up my script and now I'm going to, and then they just write like something complete, like if it's a small studio and it'd be an independent film or whatever. No, I'm not like that. If it's a small studio with like a, a small, they only, they only allocate small budgets. If you go and like, I'm going to write the most epic, I'm going to write the next Star Wars. No, you have to know your limitations. It's like that. It's as simple as that. Know your limitations. I think. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Don't just be the guy, the director who points about and says, you do this, you do that. And now we have a movie. Don't be the Get writer who just set, writes something. Mate. I can't yeah. have it. <laughs> exactly. Don't be the writer who be creative, but don't, don't be unrealistic. I think there's always ways of adapting. Don't things let to your screen. imagination get the better of you. If you don't, if you know for a fact that it won't, this can't work. It can't work. Take, take yeah. budget into account, you know, um, that's why I think it's important to understand every element of filmmaking, which is why film school is a good thing. You know, um, I have yeah, views on it, well, education think, and the education system, but in the well, end, how it's a good I thing see, that in how film I school, see, I you saw, study I like how we're sort of just going all over the place, but I saw that today, yeah. this, this week, uh, at time of recording this, the, this previous week, I saw someone, yeah. do you need a, on Twitter, do you need a film degree? And then people have been like, no, 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 no. And it's like, I'm a film professor and I think all my students are morons for paying. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> professor who thinks his students are morons. That's funny. It's like, I'm a film professor and I think my students are morons for paying, you know, thousands of pa- thousands of dollars or pounds or whatever to come here when they could just go on. It's like, okay, yes. But yeah. it might, but it's like, yeah, but like, you don't rag on doctors. Exactly. I think it's, it's there's because, a great it's divide it, between... It's because it's a creative process. And I think, I, I'm just going to say it now, I think I don't like, like the money's a bit, the money's the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, you don't need a degree, but if you're, if you're like someone like completely like, if you're just, I mean, you are a kid at the point when yeah. you go to university or film school or whatever, you know, college or stuff like that. And you go, yeah, but I like, it's, it's all well and good teaching yourself stuff. But if you don't, but like, like, yeah, you, you won't look at everything because you're not interested. Sadly, but at, a lot of at the, school, there's a lot more structure where you go, yeah. Oh yeah. And then, and then you can, and they give you like this sort of broad thing and then they go teach you everything. 
or uh, close I'd to say, everything, and then you split off and you go, oh yeah, I, I like this, and you focus, and it gives you a jumping off point to focus yeah. on things. And yeah, the the tech might be outdated, but but you, it's up to you. It's not up to the school to keep you up to date on what's going on. It's up to you. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. There's always it's like self-studying universe. That's just like. Yeah. It's like people. It's like well, everything I learned. One of these guys that replied to this thread on the mm. "Do you need a film degree?" Yeah, you might not need yeah. one, but it's 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 a good help if you are unsure about what you actually want to do. And if you just like, I'll say I wanna, this, I want to work in the industry, but you don't know specifically what. Yeah, film comes down to this. In my view, not all the time, but most of the time, it either comes down to nepotism, luck, or education. Um, a lot of the film industry is based on nepotism, but there's also a lot of directors who made that one short film, like Kevin Smith, who got recognition and, and, and that they got a, uh, not just a lucky break. Cause obviously you have to put a lot of effort into these movies. There's a reason they get recognized, but it's commitment, you have to get your, really. yeah, it's commitment. And the reality is if you or me make a short film, even with this podcast, the chances of us putting this out there and it becoming popular are very low because there is always an element of luck. You can put as much effort as you want into something. But to the and three the end, people listening, yeah, big kisses. But the way I, I see it. it, if you don't have those industry ties, film school is an extremely good option, even if you do, because I've seen lots of courses on film school that put you in contact with these industry people. They send you yeah, to industry yeah, events. They, they give I you think, chances and opportunity. You're paying for the opportunity to show the, your work uh, to these people. I looked at the people person who, aren't in, yeah. who did that thread. Yeah. And, with, and I'm like, guessing they were in the industry and they probably get there through nepotism. They are not. Well, I don't know. I don't know exactly. They, they're, they're not young. They weren't young. Yeah. They were definitely, they'd been there for probably like 10, 15 years. They've been working in the industry. And it's, and it's like, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, maybe you didn't need it because pff, yeah, of course, like, but you have to take it as a look, you have to look at it now. And it's like, if you just generalize yeah. stuff, it's like, yeah, but my education, the, co- the, course I've, bad- the courses I've looked like is I've looked, not looked like, I don't look like I looked at, <laughs> I've, yeah, you know, they, 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 they give you a lot of independence or they give you, and that's what I've gone for. It's like, yeah, yeah. I agree with independent. Yeah. I've gone the- for a lot of independence. I mean, it'll be I feel little- like there's a great there's a great divide between people who agree with film school and people who don't. There never seems to be a middle ground. For me, there's a middle ground. Yeah, I think I, I would be. A if middle if ground you think well. it's good for you, do it. Do it. No one's telling you not to. And the reality is, in the UK, it's not the system of debt. Is that basically you don't have to repay your debt unless you make a certain amount of money. So you never have to worry about being out of money at least. Yeah. Um. So take it. Do that. Um. There are hundreds of film people, George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, who went to film school they and went to the industry because of it. Yeah, they became the elite. They got together as a group in university and became the elite. And then there's people who got into the industry through a lucky break or through nepotism because they knew somebody. But not everyone has yeah, like that. Like Kevin Smith or Quentin Tarantino, they, they were like, you know, working in the, the DVD shop was my film school. Yeah, that's, that's for you as an individual. Yeah, pe- people just like, sort of take people should never like, talk down film school because, in the end, your experience isn't someone else's. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not inclined to. Generally, I'm not into traditional education. I believe one-on-one education, learning through work, is a good thing. But I understand that traditional education has its place, and I don't. You know, I think it's as as as, vi- as viable as doing your own thing and trying to find your own way, if not more, because at least there's some structure to it. Um, 
And I think people who just completely discount it or completely approve it and say it's the only way of dealing in extremes, because it's the reality is the industry is hard to get into. A tiny percent of people will get into it. Um, so you need every bit of knowledge, every advantage you can get. Um, and there's no right way to do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think I, th- I think we have just literally ragged on for like, Oh yeah, time. this definitely turned into a from Welcome. Sunny's soapbox to Sunny's and Alex's view on film school in the industry. Welcome and to the ramble. Welcome to the ramble cast, everyone. And uh, I think well, that's one of the best rants we've had yet. I mean, rants. I mean, yeah. that, that, I, rants a negative word, but thank, if you enjoy, if you enjoyed that, uh, we'd love yeah. to hear your opinions. Oh yeah, definitely. What do you think of film school? What do you think of directors? Do should directors just be directors? What do you think of Marriage Story? <laughs> Please tell us. Uh, well, that's a good segue onto our. Uh, you were going to plug something. News. Well, no, you were going to plug something. I don't know if well, we are coming up to two hours. I think we we don't have time for news this week. Yeah, well, we are um, to let everyone know we're thinking of phasing, phasing out, out the, the news. news as a weekly segment, just just covering big things like movie announcements or um, other, sad, other sadly guff. deaths in the industry or things like big things essentially um because again we record these in advance so by the time they're out they're a few weeks out of date if it's um, like a big news thing and like oh yeah we'll cover it, it it's not like it's like a new movie we've got to cover yeah it. but but we're hoping to replace um the news the news yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> my brain <laughs> just stopped the news with uh we'd like you guys to write in tweet at us um email us email we'll uh, put an email in description i imagine yeah, probably uh but at least tweet at us you can always do that it's easier um yeah tweet at us or just uh, leave reviews and we'll do we'll do whole segments on reading people's reviews answering your questions about the industry if you want us to talk about something yeah, but, but we aren't just qualified anything. to do that but yeah if, if you're just gonna have a yeah, yeah we're gonna have a fan mail segment essentially where Anything, anything you want to say to us, if we pick it, we'll talk about it. Um, obviously, it has to be relevant to movies or entertainment. But the, I, I, I think I could tackle the uh, political climate in the UK. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's not. Oh, Jesus Christ. Welcome to uh, News the UK politics cast. Oh, God. As if there isn't enough politics in the world. Movies are supposed to be a, a bit of an escape from all this. Anyway, um, <laughs> you, could, you could, like, if you want to. Yeah. I think we might announce earlier a film we're doing so you could watch it. I mean, obviously, I mean, if you listen to this and you haven't watched the film we're talking about, it's kind of redundant. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we should start um, announcing it in advance so you guys can write in with your views on a certain film and we'll read them. Uh, and we'll, we'll again, either agree or disagree people, with them. Yeah, based on how many people watch this, this may or may not be a, vi- a viable idea, but we'll see. Um, we'd also like to, I'd like to, say we have these stupid little intros that we've just thrown together for our little segments but if anyone out there is a budding musician or they they do indie stuff and they'd like to have their stuff heard um we're open yeah uh, paid or anything because we can't afford it because the jingles not, are um, yeah rubbish no they're not rubbish <laughs> they're, just, they're, they're so yeah like us not they don't they're, so mean they're just so random and weird they're just stupid and it's something we just came up with but if anyone who's actually talented um, is out there then and you'd like to send in something as a jingle we'll use it if we like it um but yeah, if there's so more if, than we need we're we all gonna have to go through a ruthless x-factor style 
uh, <laughs> competition. Yeah, we'll maybe, have a whole maybe. episode of just playing them and then harshly judging them. We'll even no, get Simon. Uh, I'll, call, I'll call Simon Cow. Yeah, get we'll get phone. Simon on the phone. Get you David Wally on the phone. You know he's in um, the, the new Scooby-Doo film. What? Anyway, and that's our show. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, thanks. See you next week. Play the intro, Future Sonny, who's editing. Well, I meant outro. Gosh dang it, I can't do anything right. And that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget that episodes are available pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Anchor, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, you name it. Be sure to share this episode, tell your friends, and maybe even leave us a review. Follow the podcast on Twitter at HollywoodPod, as well as on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Taking on Hollywood and you'll find us. You can also follow me at RealNameFake on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Flavor Day Film Club, if you want to check out my short films. Really appreciate it if you check it out. Thanks for listening, and we hope you guys will join us next Friday for another edition of Taking on Hollywood. Please, we need the money. We need the money. Please, send money. Anyway, bye. See you.